This is the Cigar Snob Podcast, and I am Nick Jimenez. Business ideas can come from all sorts of places, and in the case of surfer dude turned sailor turned humidor maker Daniel Marshall, it all started with a thoughtful, handmade thank you gift. Daniel sat down with me while we were at the IPCPR trade show in Las Vegas to talk about his company's beginnings, how he came to be regarded as among the premier humidor makers in the world, and the benefits of making a living and building a brand inside the cigar culture. Before we start that interview, a word from our sponsor, Safra Rum. At Cigar Snob Magazine, we know that man cannot live on water alone, which is why we keep a healthy stockpile of Safra Rum at the office. I'm Nick Jimenez, Senior Editor of Cigar Snob Magazine, and I'm here to tell you that every time we crack open a bottle of Safra Rum, we are impressed. In fact, I'm kind of hydrating with Safra Rum right now. It's unlike anything else, in part because of Safra's small batch approach. They use only hand-cut sugarcane and process it into top-grade molasses, distill in column stills, and ferment in a proprietary locally grown yeast. The rum master then ages the virgin rum in carefully selected bourbon oak casks. The end result is a rum masterpiece that's great for top-shelf cocktails, drinking it on the rocks, or even just drinking it neat, which, by the way, is what we did when we paired this in the pages of Cigar Snob magazine with the Oliva Serie B Melanio, but it goes great with just about any cigar. Here's what we had to say about Safra rum. Quote, the rum introduces smooth, honey, caramel, and molasses flavors that start to complement the coffee, chocolate, and spice from the cigar. Safra also received an exceptional 95-point rating from the Beverage Tasting Institute, so we are not the only ones who are crazy about this stuff. It's just another one of their prestigious awards. Ask for Safra Rum at your favorite retailer, restaurant, or bar. Make sure you follow them on Facebook and Instagram at Safra Rum. That's Z-A-F-R-A Rum. Safra Rum. Always drink responsibly, and remember that there is no rum without Safra. All right, and now here is my interview with Daniel Marshall. I think a lot of people are familiar with your name and associating with things like all of your humidor products, uh, the uh, celebrity smokers who uh, can't stop talking about you. Um, I, I still think about, was it Steve Harvey doing Comedians in Cars with Jerry Seinfeld? <laughs> you know, and they're smoking cigars, and, and he's talking about your gold cigars. You got to smoke that thing. And he sort of says very, like, matter-of-factly, it's gold. I <laughs> know. <laughs> I love that. Uh, it's it a nice surprise when yeah. that happened. And when I'm watching that show, and I had no idea what to expect, and I had not met Mr. Harvey, and when he said, Jerry, I got to get you one of those Daniel Marshall cigars. Yeah, yeah. They're gold. Yeah. And then Jerry Seinfeld says, I want one. I'm a pimp. <laughs> <laughs> and then he carries it around in the shots at the end of the show and stuff. Yeah. And so it's super cool. I mean, it's, uh, it's one of those things which happened and it was a total accident right and i actually was trying to derail the sales and marketing of the gold cigar yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's he screwed up really, those plans for you really famous um you know just yeah. because i had no idea what i what i had created so so i again i think people know your name and they associate it with the products but i think probably far fewer people have a sense of who you are where you came from and how you ended up in this business you know because it, it, the I think there there tend to be uh, less biography-driven stories in the branding of accessories. Right. 
So let, let's get into some of that. Uh, where, what was your background? What were you doing? Uh, where you're from? What were you doing before humidors and cigars? And how'd you get into it? Well, it's interesting story because my life has been really a series of accidents, and uh, I've tried to make them uh, fortunate accidents. And uh, I had no intention of going in the cigar world. And actually, I was resisting and not even wanting to be a businessman of any kind. I grew up in Malibu middle class and I wanted to be uh, kind of the surf bum building his sailboat and sail around the world for the rest of my life. And that's as, that was as far as I wanted to see. <laughs> and I think I learned a lot of lesson about life is whenever we say we can't do something or we say we're not interested in something, that actually it's quite the opposite that we're probably very, very good at something. I can't ski, I'm the worst skier, and you try skiing once, and you, you become a champion. So sure, <laughs> I don't know yeah. if it happens to other people, but that's my story of the cigar world. I uh, was 18, ever since I went to Tahiti with my father on his sailboat, 40-foot sailboat, that was his big dream, to take his family, I was 10 years old, from Marina del Rey to Tahiti. You know, every oh, wow. sailor has this dream to go long distance cruising, take your boat to some exotic location. And I fell in love with the, the ocean and that lifestyle. 30 days at sea. Couldn't think of anything better to do. So I said on that trip, I'm going to be the first. I'm going to build a sailboat and do the same sail around the world. And uh, my dad's not going to help me with that dream. So I'm going to definitely have to start saving money. So I got back from that trip to Tahiti and I started mowing lawns and tutoring, tutoring kids and uh, younger kids in math and science and all the, because I was kind of engineer son, so I was a little bit nerdy that way. And um, I would start buying gold Krugerrands because my dad was also one of these guys that bought Krugerrands and gold and silver and we, I buried a safe under his house. Uh, because he thought the world was going to end. But I liked it because gold was cool and it reminded me of pirates and all the things I loved re related to boats. And uh, so I had five crew grants by the time I graduated high school and always on the lookout for the boat that I wanted that I actually saw in Tahiti, which was a West Sail 32. And it's a cruising boat, 32 foot long on the deck. I found the boat. It, you know how life is. It just stuff shows up. Right. If you have a big enough dream and a big enough intention, the, it will be there in front of you and you just have to see it. So I open up a magazine and there it is, Holland Deck, fiberglass, empty on the inside, $12,000 the guy was asking. So I drove down to Long Beach. I said, listen, I'll give you five now. I'll give you five in two years and I want to take the boat. <laughs> And he gave me my boat. I was 18 years old, graduate high school. I was the happiest guy in the world. Yeah, on, I can imagine. On my way. So in the middle of all this, I was dating a, uh, a wonderful woman. We got engaged. And her grandfather had built one of the first life insurance companies in, uh, I know, in Santa Monica. Because he, he ended up selling it um, to a company called Prime America after they went public in the 60s and 70s. And so... He was from a whole nother world, and uh, the, what he has achieved, he was on, you know, Bel Air Road next to President Reagan and stuff. And so I was like this poor Malibu surfer and into another world. And he welcomed me into what I call the modern day campfire. Okay. So I was 18 years old, and every event, every event at his house that I would go with my girlfriend, uh, he would ask about this boat. He thought it was the craziest idea that his uh, his perhaps future uh, son-in-law 
or grandson-in-law uh, will is like this crazy guy that's going to sail around the world and blah blah blah. Yeah. And uh, so that was to my great luck. And one one evening at the pool, he escaped away from his guests to do something that we all love very much, and I had no idea what was happening. And he says, Danny, come over here. I want to I hear what's the latest with the boat. And this is what changed my life, really, because he, uh, he um, asked me, uh, you know, about the boat, and I was telling him about it, and he gave me great encouragement. So driving home that night, I says, how do I thank him for that? Because I really I felt pumped up about my whole project, and I felt validated that I was on the right track because my father was kind of steering me in the other direction. And thank God for difficult fathers out there because... It helps us go to the next step and the sure. next level. And my dad was telling me the opposite, like I'd be a failure if I don't go to college and all this. So, But then Papa Joe, as I called him, was telling me the opposite. Do it. Sail. Go. Live the dream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and okay. Uh, so I said, how do I thank him? What does he love most? And we all know what he was doing, overlooking all of L.A., beautiful blue puffs of smoke coming up around his his face and i i said it he must love those things those cigars that he was smoking so i called the butler in the morning and i said pablo what is papa joe smoking what is his favorite cigar and uh, that's it the power of the cigar i i went to dunhill bought him three cigars made a three cigar case in teakwood which is what i was making my boat out of and brought it to him two weeks later and he looked at it he says i really like this if you want, take it to Dunhill. I'm convinced they will buy it and you can set up a factory, sail around the world. You can live, you can really do it all. And, uh, but you know, it's up to you. You can borrow it and take it down there or not. So I said, oh, absolutely. I wasn't going to about to say, no, yeah, yeah. it's okay. <laughs> I'm going surfing. Right. <laughs> he was right. I took it to Dunhill. They encouraged me to go. The manager there said the buying office is in New York. You got to go see this guy. Of course, I couldn't get an appointment, so I had to walk in the old-fashioned American way sure. and uh, bust in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, of course, it was no, 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 we're not interested. And then all of a sudden, the question when I finally got an audience with the buyer was, can you make a humidor? These are okay, these cigar cases that you make for our cigars. But can you make a cigar humidor? I said, of course. What's a cigar humidor? Right, <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't miss a beat. He smiled and sent one up that uh, had been broken. It had a bottle of Dunhill whiskey on the inside. He said, "If you can do a good job copying this, I'll give you an order." Look, okay. you know what I did. Yeah, you know how what happened from there. It uh, it was copied. I brought it back, and then he gave me a quarter of a million dollar order. Wow! I had no factory. I was still building in my my backyard the, with the boat, and of course I couldn't. Um, anywhere near produce $250,000 worth of humidors for Dunhill in my backyard in time. Uh, so I went to Papa Joe and said, look, you are right, uh, fortunately and unfortunately, because now I don't know how to make them. And so he says, well, we have to set up a factory. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what we did in Costa Mesa. We took over Quicksilver's first uh, board, the board short company, uh, oh, wow. Quicksilver. We took over their first factory. So that was super fun for a surfer to go yeah, in. Yeah. I saw that location when I was looking around for spots and I saw all those board shorts and that was their first location. And I said, yeah, this is where I want to be. That's so we fun, set yeah. up a spray booth and got the permits, hired 20 people. And we started making humidors for Alfred Daniel. So that's the start, 1982. Wow, wow. So uh, 
What were some of the things that um, that you learned about the the challenges that are specific to making humidors, and was there anybody that you looked to as a as a model, or did you end up meeting somebody else in the business who uh, helped you figure any of that out? Uh, because I imagine you know, I'm I'm no woodworker, um, but I imagine whether on the business side or on the manufacturing side, there have got to be all these things that you sort of ran into that you didn't anticipate definitely there's a there's a lot of secrets and a lot of trial and error and uh, very easy to make mistakes that are very very costly especially in the unforgiving part of the finishing process well first of all you've got to set up tooling and I worked with I hired a master craftsman who was in quality the same mentality as me but in speed he was the opposite of me he was slow and methodical and like a turtle and i was like let's get it done but let's do it right but let's be very efficient and bang these out because otherwise we're making no money and we're not in business so i hired a guy called lloyd ellis who has passed away and he would help he helped us set up the precision uh, tooling the very accurate templates for every operation. There's over a hundred individual production steps in the humidor. Um, but basically, I, I cut, up, cut open the best humidor that Dunhill was buying at the time, analyzed it, and then yes, it's quite a journey to find the right paints. And uh, also, the paint, the paint process is where you can ruin tens of thousands of. If you've got the wrong painter and you don't have your spray booth cleaned, and you don't, if you don't choose the right time of day to paint, if it kicks off too soon, you've got air bubbles and people do yeah. not want to see air bubbles all through their humidor so especially yeah, on a luxury product that no, they're paying, no you know, it has luxury, to be yeah, perfect no yeah. dust no lint no bubbles no nothing in the same way you don't want and, you know you don't want little holes in your no. in, in in a premium cigar exactly. wrapper or something exactly and yeah. it's funny that you mentioned that because i every day we have challenges because it is wood and we use a natural product and believe it or not we use the best uh, wood manufa uh, sourcing manufacturer in germany in the world they they have the thickest veneers the most rare and exotic woods um and i found them after trial and error because one supplier i was using treated the veneer because if you buy veneer it can be uh, ripply Okay, and in order to flatten it, they spray a flattener agent on it. And guess what? You don't see it. You don't know it's there. You put your your thousand our thousand coat finish over that. Yeah, and it doesn't stick. And it has a violent chemical reaction. And then we're saying, wow, that's a heavy hit. We just lost forty thousand dollars worth of humidors. And there's no way, nothing to do but paint them black at that point. So yeah, yeah there's many many things that constantly can go wrong so it needs a very very tight watch on the quality control that's why sure. my uh, my job is uh, is really all over the place between the manufacturing and of course neurotic about making the best humidor in the world yeah yeah so uh for the especially for the person who maybe hasn't come across the product or or i think humidors are also one of those things that even a lot of seasoned smokers couldn't really tell you okay when i'm out shopping for a humidor this is what i'm looking for um Let's go through some of that. So sure. if, if somebody's out buying a humidor, uh, what are some of the things you want to look for in a humidor and what makes yours, uh, what sets yours apart? Sure. Well, I think first of all, uh, kind of there's still a mystery about 
whether a humidor is necessary or not out there. Believe it or not, in the evolution of cigars and where we are culturally, I believe that people do not realize the actual benefit of a quality humidor. And that's the first thing to establish. Uh, even before buying a humidor, you need to know why you need a humidor and do I need a humidor. So uh, I am constantly trying to tell that story of what a humidor does to a cigar and what it allows a cigar to do because a cigar is living and uh, it's constantly evolving in, in uh, flavor profile and uh, nuances of flavor and the just like a fine whiskey and a fine wine age is such an important aspect to a fabulous cigar and if you look at some of the best cigars and of course the top rated cigars in the world and the most highly sought after cigars they are all old and right. how, okay if they're old do i put them in a ziploc bag or how do we keep them in perfect condition and so in order to achieve the ultimate that the cigar blender has in mind that the cigar grower has in mind like the ultimate dream and vision of the cigar and to ha enhance your experience to the absolute uh, peak level you have to keep it in a quality humidor. And what's a quality humidor? Well, a humidor that is as stable as possible with levels of humidity and locking, kind of locking out temperature fluctuations as well. So there's always temperature fluctuations between night and day, but a humidor, because of the fit and the seal and the fact it's wood, it has a way to insulate a little bit of temperature as well, not only keeping the humidity a stable level. So um, having those elements uh, come together is what really will help to create and replicate the environment of Cuba, Nicaragua, Dominican right. Republic, Honduras. So that's really what we want to do. We want to create that environment where the tobacco leaves were born and where they were aged and matured and then allow those cigars. That's why with our cigars, we have a cigar collection now for since 1996. And I am adamant about my cigars will not be tasted unless they are one year aged in the box. Right. So I think the real magic happens, of course, after you have a great, the greatest roller in the world rolling it, and after you have the, the finest tobacco you can possibly buy and find uh, and age, then the magic happens in the humidor with time. Right. Just like with whiskey. And I think people are more and more appreciating that. That's why, well, I, I don't want to get too far off course here, but sure. uh, we want a humidor that has hardware that holds up. You want a, a lock that, if it has a lock, which is always handy to keep keep those friends out of your humidor, <laughs> or your kids that uh, that are anxious to uh, take all your favorite smokes, and um, uh, but that it's gold plated so it withstands time and it withstands humidity levels. Uh, you want it to the lid to always fit fit uh, fit flat. You never want it warped. You don't want the humidity to escape. You're looking at the corners because you don't want it to split. Uh, you look at the overall feel of the humidor. You can get an indication of its level of quality by uh, how, how square it is and how the lid, whether it's shifted or not. So literally, there's a hundred individual production steps on our humidor. I've counted them. Yeah. <laughs> Each one of my team does about six different steps and they stick to that day in and day out, year in and year after because they specialize in that, um, in that particular series of operations. And, uh, and then it's, uh, the, it, it really, it becomes a, a, if you're going out there looking for a humidor, you want something you can trust. Yeah. And if you go to just say a humidor brand that might be made in countries where the humidity is very high, you can count on that humidor when it's coming into your home turf 
uh, changing in shape and size if it's made in wood. Uh, and I think that with any, that's really the essence of any brand is trust. Right. And I've established uh, over 35 years a, a reputation where I'm determined to make every humidor last forever. <laughs> right. Yeah. And there's no life. There's a lifetime warranty on them. And so it's just super important uh, that that trust is developed between uh, our client and the retailers and everyone involved. And I want everybody happy and pleased. And it's so thrilling uh, where we when we do get pictures of humidors and happy comments from people uh, from many, many d decades ago and right, seeing yeah. those humidors still holding up and yeah. still going strong. So, you know, you it's, did it right. a, it's a great reward. And and of course, to to hear a, one of my favorite stories is is a is a story where a guy came up to me at a big smoke event and he says, I got the perfect testimonial for you for your humidors. You can forget everything else. And I said, tell me. And he says, I'm sending you a picture and a letter to testify to this. But I was in in Hurricane Katrina and I had to evacuate my home in New Orleans. And I left and couldn't come back to my house for a week. And of course, I was so upset. My humidor and my favorite cigars were left behind and I knew they'd be ruined. But a week later, I came back, looked at the table where the humidor was. It was gone, as I expected, he said. But I look across the room and all the way across the room on the floor is his humidor, his wow. Daniel Marshall humidor. So he walks over with great trepidation, opens it up, and his cigars are perfect. So that's one, yeah, yeah. <laughs> one Noah's Ark of humidors, I'd say. And it's a step that we take that not a lot of uh, manufacturers take, but we actually lacquer the bottom of the humidors. Right. So that allowed it actually to be a boat and to float yeah. <laughs> on water. But it's also critical, had we not done that, then it, the, the humidor would have gotten destroyed from the water. Yeah, well, it wouldn't even have, uh, have occurred to me, the value of lacquering the bottom yeah, of the humidor. Yeah, I know. But so it also do. creates that stability right. that we're looking for and the longevity. And I want those humidors to be heirlooms and to last forever. Yeah, yeah we're, I mean, we're based in Miami, so we're in hurricane country. And from here on out, every humidor I'm buying is going to have the bottom <laughs> lacquered because that hadn't even occurred to me. You know, all this time you're thinking, yeah, I mean, they're... It's, it's not an indestructible safe, but you figure, okay, they're relatively safe. But then this is like the, the weakest point and all the water's coming up from the bottom. So if you're in some kind of flood prone area uh, and you have cigars that are worth protecting. I have, you just a, gave me an idea. I need a sticker on every right. humidor that says hurricane proof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Guaranteed. Uh, so you've also got the cigars themselves. You, you've got a, a, a few different cigars in your, in your portfolio. Um, so... Let's sort of run through quickly what, what that portfolio looks like. But again, I think people might be interested to know how you got into that and, and who, how it was that you went from, you know, making some of the uh, most trusted humidors in, in the business to saying, okay, well, now I'm going to help people fill them with Daniel Marshall cigars. Well, there's a, a few different factors that brought uh, the whole cigar uh, passion into play along with make you know obviously i wanted to, once i started making humidors use my goal to make humidors for all the top luxury gift houses in the world i wanted to be the uh, american craftsman making for hermes and for cartier and, and all these inter great international brands um because no one's done it and i always love the challenge so that yeah. and with the cigars it was the same thing first of all i think a lot of us get into get into projects and a lot of us enter into passion passion loves that we end up turning into businesses because we absolutely uh, want to enjoy it for ourselves 
right. then we want to share it with our friends. And then we want to share it with our customers. So first, uh, the first way it happened is in 1996 is, is I had an opportunity from 93 to 2000 to meet the greatest cigar legends of our time. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, during, during the big cigar tour that we all did at different events, you get to hang out and you get to meet them all. And, uh, you know, you have neighboring booths and whatnot, so you become buddies. And so then you have an opportunity to really uh, have access to taste a lot of different brands and a lot of different cigars and profiles. And so at these shows, um, I was always looking for the, 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 the benchmark cigar. I wanted it rich and smooth, and I wanted it really, really smooth and really rich. And I know that time had a lot to do with that and aging, but also greatest tobacco. So it, uh, it, my mission, uh, you know, trying every lot of different cigars, and uh, I came up with, okay, this is what I have to do. This is what I want to find. And then everything starts lining up from there. And on a second level, uh, I remember that at these shows that we were doing, people, retailers and stores and customers would say, Marshall, you make the best humidor in the world. You're fanatical. You're a nut. You're crazy. Where's your cigar? And I says, what do you mean? He says, well, where's your cigar? We want to buy your cigar because you, we trust you with the humidor. We'll trust you with the, with the cigar. Right. So I says, okay, for you, I'm going to make a very limited collection and for myself and my friends and put in some of the very key special humidors that we do, we'll do a limited production of cigars. So my buddy Manuel Casada and I were having drinks one night during the boom, 1995, and I said, Manuel, any chance you could make me uh, some cigars? And he said, Danny, for you, we're friends, I'll do it. The power of the cigar and the power of friendship. It's amazing what can happen. And he could not in 96 make enough for himself for sale or for his customers. And believe me, he took a lot of heat for making a Daniel Marshall cigar in the middle of the boom. No one could make boxes, but that wasn't a problem for me to make cigar boxes. So we made cigar boxes that looked like humidors. And Manuel would send me 5,000 black labels a month and we would actually trade. He said, let's better than exchanging money. Let's trade. You make me special packaging for... Uh, our cigars. We have this great plan to make a limited release cigar. These are the sizes. Make them in black lacquer. So that's how the cigar thing started. Oh, we wow. were traded. So sort of, yeah. And 15 years later, roll forward. I'm in Nat Sherman, and the the manager comes over to me and he says, "Danny, will you sign this box?" I said, "That's a Casada cigar. That's the 40th anniversary. I, I, why would I sign that? That's that's Casada cigar." And he says, well, he turned it upside down and our name was printed on the bottom because we made the box 15 years ago. No kidding. And I I was wondering always for that time, what's he going to do with those humidors? And second of all, in Dominican Republic, are they going to survive (laughs) the humidity and everything? And they did. So they did the Casada 40 in those uh, in those packaging. So it it, it took off. And also I have a a, a friend and who always is encouraging me to push the envelope, the Governor Schwarzenegger. And whenever he would get a special humidor made for his movies and for where we do a movie-themed humidor, he would say, so why isn't it full of cigars? It has to always be full of cigars. I can't give a humidor away that's not full of cigars. <laughs> so there was a multitude of different reasons that yeah. got me into uh, expanding our reach. And I'm very happy that we did because uh, I'm proud of our cigars. And I, I wanted to really make a mark uh, outside the country with our cigars because we sold our humidors all over the world. So I says, why don't I do things a little bit differently here like I always have? Why don't I go into Germany? Why don't I go to France? Why don't I go into the England? and see 
if the Daniel Marshall cigar will stand up against Cubans. Because if it can, then I'll bring it to the United States. And uh, and but I really want to get it through the proving ground that it can it can hold up. So I'm proud to say that we're in 40 shops in France and we're in 200 shops in Germany. And so. Things are things are going well, and we're in the key shops around the United States, which is really exciting. But we're working on it. The problem yeah. is we're limited by two things: time, and we're limited by quality tobacco. Because I don't want anything but the, the best, and I will take that year to age the cigar. Right. And it's not your core business, so you don't have to live or die by the cigars either. You have the luxury of being able to say, "Listen, you know, this is a passion project." Absolutely. That that you know sort of reinforces the the humidor story. Uh, but if you know, if you have a lot of people, you have to tell. I'm sorry, we don't have enough cigars. That's not the end of the world for you, and that's, that's a right. nice position to be in. Yes, you you hit it right on the nail head, and it allows us to kind of really do it, and in the like the ideal way when right. it doesn't actually pay the staff, and I don't have to have it in in the uh, in the company. Where if it did. You know that you—it's a scramble. You want to get that out the door as fast as possible, and that's why there are opportunity. There are times where there's tobacco that is quite green and just not not mellowed and not aged enough. So some right. of the elements that you don't want to don't want to see are still in the cigar because of this reason. And you know, in one way, that's what's made some of the poor countries that are making these and more limited kind of outreach to the world. Uh, extraordinary cigars mm-hmm. because they uh, either can't get the fertilizers that speed up the production or the right. whole process is slower right. so you know the the time can be developed and so those gr- what really has set uh, great cigar brands apart I think is their ability to say you know what we are not going to rush this we don't care we're taking the profit motive out of it and we're just going to make it to the best possible level yeah. that, that we possibly can so uh, I want to wrap up here with uh, shifting gears a little bit. Uh, we've already mentioned a, a few names inside the cigar industry and out, but I wonder whether uh, there are people who come to mind who you think of when you think of the most interesting people you've had the opportunity to meet because of cigars and humidors. So it's because it's, it's, these are things that sort of bring people together who otherwise may never come into contact. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned... Uh, Quesada, who is himself an interesting character, Schwarzenegger was, uh, and, and we mentioned uh, Steve Harvey. But who, who are some of the people who come to mind when you think, you know, oh god, that was a that was a great time getting to know that guy, and it wouldn't have happened if not for this. Yes, well, uh, I, it's uh, what we all love and share. I think who anyone who appreciates a fine cigar knows what I'm talking about. I call it the modern day campfire. And there's nothing like it. You can go into any city of the world, anywhere, and all of a sudden, you're part of a world. You're part of a club. You're part of a trusted group. And you can uh, be in London and all of a sudden sitting next to a guy who has a hotel. And before you know it, you're in his, he's like, you, you very happy to be enjoying his hotel. And then his hotel suddenly has a cigar lounge. And this has happened, these kind of things. And to think about people, I mean... You guys at Cigar Snob, I, I can't even begin to tell you how much and I appreciate meeting you and how extraordinary that's been and, and your passion and your love for your book and what you're doing and the really fun read that it has become and that it is. Uh, but 
boy, that list is long. I mean, sure. it goes from, uh, it, it was just great as an example to see Carl Malone uh, here at the cigar. He loves a cigar. I have great guy. I, I, yeah, his wife bought some of our gold cigars, the golden c- t- torpedoes, six years ago to celebrate his uh, 40th birthday. And, um, you know, now he has his own cigar brand, which is really great. He told me he wanted to do that long time ago. He wants to do lounges. He did it. And he does not need this for business. He just loves it. He loves it being a part of this culture, this cigar yeah. world, the campfire. And uh, so he's an example of an extraordinary human being that stands out, pops out in my head. But the list is so long, I can't even sure, begin to yeah, start. Yeah. I mean, the, the politicians, the celebrities, the firefighters, the police... I mean, I love rolling into New York to do our shows, and there's 20 NYPD buddies. They're best friends. I'm over at their house barbecuing, met them all at the shows, and all of a sudden, you know, we're all one big team and uh, having a great, great laugh. And, um, you know, of course, uh, Marvin Shankin for creating Cigar Aficionado, for having the vision to start the rating idea and bringing uh, a place where people can tell the stories. And, um, you know... But I mean, to, to your to your point about uh, the sort of social binder that yeah. cigars can be, and it's a unique product in that sense because you know we're talking about Carl Malone, who is sort of a special case because because of his career as a legendary athlete. I mean, I, I was you know I, I don't often get excited to do interviews with anybody, but this was one of those times that you know I, I was like hell yeah I'm going to make sure that I stick a microphone in Carl Malone's face because I want to talk to this guy for as long as possible. Yeah. Um, but you know he's a he's a multimillionaire, uh, legendary athlete, uh, and that relationship can be very intimate because it's cigars, and that wouldn't happen if we were in the you know whatever widget business. And then the next day you might be barbecuing with cops. That's right. Because Absolutely. of the same product. Absolutely. And the trust level and the camaraderie, and you you li- literally leapfrog over twenty. 20- 30 years of getting to know, it's sometimes impossible to get to know somebody, and it's extraordinary. You can meet people on the street in any country. I did an event with Glenn Fiddick in Beirut and in Lebanon, and I cannot tell you how many friends now I have in Lebanon. There's a great company called Phoenicia Trading there. They do import, they're the largest importer of cigars in the world, of Cuban product, and uh, and just the new friendships that were developed there with photographers. I did a photo shoot there, uh, and I, the guy just says, hey, can I do a photo? I I love your cigars. Can we do a photo shoot tomorrow? Sure. And I'm saying, oh, come on. <laughs> no, don't need to bother. But he insisted, and I got some of the best pictures ever. And it's all for free. He didn't want to charge anything. So, yeah, I have to say it's a, And I asked myself, why? I mean, we're talking about it. But then I say, it could only be DNA. It could only be in our DNA, this idea of the campfire. Sure. And that's why. Because we, you, you get the smoke going. You look at the fire. It takes you to another place. You feel something significant. You feel a bonding and a connection. Well, what were we doing thousands of years ago? The, if, since the advent of fire, we gather around the fire. We sure. have conversation. We have share community. And tobacco has been for, we have no idea how long it's been a part of that culture and that moment. And bringing people together, which is really exciting, of opposite ends of the spectrum, whether it's politically or ethnically, or, you know, that's why yeah, all, yeah. there would be no wars 
if people enjoyed cigars. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, but uh, it's really, uh, it, it, you ask that question, and I'm sure if you ask that self that question, it's an impossible question to answer because you meet presidents, you meet, you meet uh, all people on all walks of life and uh, have great appreciation for one another and our path and our, our as uh, Paulo Coelho says, our personal legend, we all have an incredible path uh, that we're following. And, and through the cigar, it's, a, it's pretty magic. I mean, I was, you know, uh, when President Clinton checked into the hotel in London, I was just thrilled to hear that he bought one of our, one of our golden cigars. And, you know, who would have ever thought you can, you can be in a room and you can see somebody uh, that you want to meet, you give him a cigar, and all of a sudden there's the ultimate door opener. Yeah. I, I, I dare you. Give, give a cigar to one person, then give 10 bucks to somebody else sure. and, and see your reaction. Yeah, yeah. The cigar you're giving, infinite uh, idea of pleasure and enjoyment and indulgence and, and uh, generosity. Give a guy 10 bucks, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you get a different reaction. Yeah. So uh, let's uh, just before we uh, wrap it up here, um, tell people where they should go if they want to learn more about Daniel Marshall products. And, uh, and maybe uh, a recommendation for, uh, you know, perhaps somebody who's buying their first humidor. Is, is there a particular model that you would Super. say, hey, you know, this is, this is where you should go? And, and what is your sort of, like, top of the line, you're going to go bananas uh, on your next humidor. This is, this is as, as big as it goes. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Well, um, good, good uh, ideas and thoughts here. Well, we have implemented a program, and I had no idea if it would do well or not. It's called our Cash for Clunker program. Okay. And I took a take off the federal government's program to try and rescue the car industry. I am Now my mission and my passion is to have people really see for themselves and prove for themselves. And I'll put my money where my mouth is on this, how a quality humidor will improve their experience of cigar. So what we do is we offer a $100 credit, anybody who wants to turn in their clunker, and you should see the letters I'm getting all over the world. Yeah. We're only doing it in the United States, but they want to do it in London. They want to do it in France and yeah. <laughs> have to figure out how to roll this internationally. But then they get a chance to buy a Daniel Marshall cigar, $100 off. So I'm really excited about that program. So that's one way to get in to the cigar and uh, send us in your clunker and then you'll see some creative ways of what we're going to turn those humidors into. Um, I'm excited to launch at our show a collection, Americana collection, we call it, and affordable luxury. And that's a $300 retail price point uh, starting and it's all in precious wood and matte finishes. So that's a great humidor to consider. You can put in your humidity packs in there. It's a very simple unit, but they can count and trust on the brand uh, that, that uh, we have made it in California and you can count that it's going to last forever. And, um, and then with our cigars, we launched our 35th anniversary cigar, which is a d aged additional year. And it's also, so it's two years box aging and it's signed, uh, each box is signed uh, and uh, really, really cool. I've put 500 boxes aside in four different, four different shapes for our 35th anniversary cigar. And as far as crazy, well, I created a sterling silver humidor out of solid sterling silver. It weighed it, 100 ounces of silvers used it. I shipped the humidor to Italy. This master in Florence does an extraordinary job with rounded corners. Of course, silver on the bottom too, just like the lacquer. So yeah, it can yeah. float, but it won't float. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, 
that's really a special piece that we're showing off at the show. It has a $20,000 retail price point. Yeah. And uh, I was super proud in 2016 to see that our humidors are starting to auction for some significant money. But Leonardo DiCaprio has a uh, fundraiser in Saint-Tropez and he raises money for uh, the foundation which supports uh, the environment and the world's best causes for protecting our beautiful globe and oceans and uh, one of our humidors sold for substantial substantial yeah. money and uh, it was a special governor schwarzenegger signed humidor um, so people can find out more about that information on our website at danielmarshall.com our social media is dm cigars on instagram we're on twitter and facebook daniel marshall cigars and humidors and um, look forward to to sharing the campfire with all of you at one point yeah. and uh, hopefully there's going to be an event coming up that cigar snob will be pulling off and i want to be a part of it all right and so i want to we'll, meet everybody there we'll see you there then can't right. wait thanks a lot Danny. thank you appreciate it thanks to daniel for taking the time to do that interview and as always thank you for listening to the cigar snob podcast make sure that you subscribe on apple Podcasts, google play music soundcloud or stitcher rate and review us while you're there you can also find episodes of the podcast at cigarsnobmag.com slash podcast. Share this episode with friends and fellow smokers, especially those who you think might be in the market for a humidor, or even just those who are interested in Daniel's story. If you're a social media person, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Cigar Snob Mag. Again, that's Cigar Snob Mag. And finally, Make sure to send any feedback, questions, or comments to feedback at cigarsnobmag.com. We might just respond to you here on the podcast or in the pages of Cigar Snob Magazine. Thanks for listening. Until next time, again, I am Nick Jimenez, and this is the Cigar Snob Podcast. <laughs>